0: Grace to and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio and thank you particularly today for coming out in this just brutally cold weather. I had to check with some folks right at the beginning of the service who I said, has it actually gotten colder since this morning? They said, absolutely it has. So thank you all for being here. But this has been a big weekend here at First Presbyterian Church. You'll notice in the bulletin that we mentioned the Reverend Sandy Wilson, who has been our Zabendan Legacy Forum speaker. He is now preaching in the Modern Worship Service. Uh, he was here in the 930 service. Now before you jump up and run over to go hear him, um, I thank you first of all for being here. Uh, but uh, you can also watch that. That'll be And that'll be online if you would like to to catch that later. But it was a wonderful sermon in the 930 service, or you can catch the 11 o'clock modern worship service version. But um, but you'll see his biography or at least his introduction there in the uh, there in the bulletin. And we are just so grateful for Reverend Wilson for being with us. It was a, a joy to have him here with us all weekend and especially this morning. But as we, were, uh, as we were preaching or as we were talking, we talked about the, the series that we're in now, the study of the life of Abraham as it comes to us from the book of Genesis. And of course, that's what Sandy preached about this morning, the same passage that we will read together now. Uh, again, last week, we began this new series called The God Who Keeps His Promises about God and his relationship with the patriarch. Abraham. Now, as we read today, I remind you that Abraham became Abraham later in his life. First, we read about him as Abram before the Lord changed his name. So just to make sure you all know that we are we're talking about the patriarch Abraham. As we look today with beginning in chapter 12, verses one through three. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Today, as we begin this study of Abraham anew, we're really talking about two things. We're talking about a historical event that takes place in the Old Testament, but we're also going to be talking about the concept of calling and what it means when God calls us to follow him, whether it was Abraham in the Old Testament or now as disciples of Jesus Christ who are called by Jesus Christ, who are called through the Holy Spirit, and who are, who are invited to be a part of God's restoration of the world. But before we get specifically into the story of Abram, I want to I begin with a little bit of history. We read today from the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, but let's look back to the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. One more time, we did that last week, but let's do this one more time. The 11th chapter of the book of Genesis tells us an old human story. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And you may have heard it before, but let me refresh your memory. According to this story, there was only one language and everyone spoke it. So knowledge and technology could be freely passed, communication was easy, and apparently there was this great sense of optimism for human capability. People began to think that there was nothing beyond their reach. And eventually the people began to believe that their their know-how was invincible. And so they took all of their applied knowledge and they began to build a great tower. The scripture says that they said to one another, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches heaven. Let's make a name for ourselves and make ourselves famous so that people will know forever that we can do whatever we want to do. In other words, let's build a monument to ourselves. Let's show the world and history that we are self-made men, we are self-made people, and we are in control. Now, archaeologists and historians have concluded that the Tower of Babel was a huge stepped pyramid called a ziggurat. A ziggurat is not like the Egyptian pyramids that have kind of smooth sides, and a ziggurat has, looks more like a staircase. And even though it was a functional temple, in reality, in the ancient mind, it would function as a stairway to heaven. And once the people of Babel completed the tower, they planned to use it to assume their rightful place in heaven and to claim their place as God's. You know, we might say today that they were trying to play God, but but in reality, they weren't playing. They wanted to be God's. And they believed that if their technology would allow them to stand above the earth, then they could control the sun and the rain, just like the gods. They could control the winds and the flood and the crops and the water. They could even control birth and death. And their motto would have been, we don't have a need of God. We don't need him. We have our own knowledge. We have our own technology. We have our own tools. We don't need God. You know, we know or we can learn all we need to know. We can see from up here. We can see all we need to see. And we can control all we need to control. Again, we don't need God. We can trust ourselves. We'll worship ourselves. And what we see in this ancient story is that mankind had knowledge, and by that knowledge he developed technology when it refers to them mixing straw for bricks and that sort of thing. That's ancient technology. But they still didn't have wisdom. I mean, they knew a lot, but they didn't know everything. The tower was tall enough so that they could see a long way, but they couldn't see everything and they couldn't see what was coming. They proved that they could master the elements of the earth, stone and brick, fire and metal, but they couldn't control everything. (laughs) They took themselves very seriously, but they didn't take God seriously. What they didn't take seriously is that God knows what we don't know. That God can see what we can't see, and that He controls what we will never be able to control. So, according to the story, God took one look and said, Well, this is only the beginning. One people, one language. There's no telling what they'll come up with next. They're going to stop at nothing. You see, before man fell, When there was was one language, that was a good thing. Everybody was unified, but after the fall, they used it for their own devices. And God saw that this is dangerous. And so he went down and he garbled their language. And that's why it's known as Babel. Because at this place, God turned, turned their language into Babel. And when they could no longer communicate, They had to quit building the tower. They had to quit building the city. And the different groups speaking different languages eventually disbanded into a host of clans and scattered all over the earth. Isn't it interesting that that's what it took to do what God had said to do in the beginning. He said, I want you to go out throughout the whole earth. Not all to stop in the same place, but go out through the whole earth and spread my image, spread my glory through the whole planet, through the whole creation. He had to scatter them. But as we look back, we see that it's an old story, yes, but it's a story that seems to keep repeating itself in human history. Even today, our technology advances and we begin begin to believe that we can see and know everything. I mean, whether we're talking about the Titanic or whether we're talking about AI, and we begin to think that we are in control and that we don't need God. We see it repeating itself over and over again. But then something happened. In the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, that chapter tells us that once upon a time, God did something different. God did something new. And around 2091 BC, the Lord went to one of these people, a pagan, a man from the city of Ur, A man named Abram, and he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, a new nation. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, out of all the people on the earth, God chose to change the story of humanity with one person, And he was going to begin with this one man and his one wife and their family. God said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to break the cycle and I'm going to start with you, Abram. Now the Lord does not tell us, the Bible does not tell us why the Lord chose Abram and his wife Sarai for this mission. As I said, they were descendants. At least they were part of the culture that had attempted to build a stairway to heaven and make a great name for themselves. They were pagans. They were the people who thought they didn't need God. So why would God choose Abram? Was he rich? Well, perhaps it seems to lean in that direction that we might think that. Was he powerful? Maybe. Was he super religious? Well, if he was, then he was following false religions. Was he a great leader? Maybe. We don't know. Why did God choose Abram? We don't know. You know, I have a friend who suggests sometimes that you know, I love all of you and I even like some of you. Says of all the people of humanity, there's some people that God just loves. And all we can definitively say about Abram is that he's just somebody that God loved. That God just liked. He has no merit, he has nothing to accomplish, he has nothing to commend himself to God. The Bible doesn't give us any indication of why God chose Abram. And I believe that that's important. I believe that he doesn't give us any reason why he chose Abram because this story is not about the qualifications of a man and a woman. It's not anything that, about anything that they did to be or to not be rewarded to be or not be blessed by God because this is a story rather about God's calling and more importantly about God's grace. You see, the story of Abram is really a story about God, about his love for us, about his grace towards us, and how by that grace he would rebuild humanity through the calling of one man and one wife. Now this series is called The God Who Keeps His Promises. So what were the promises that God made to Abram. Well, these are the promises. First, the Lord said to Abram, I'm giving you a new home. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. So the first part of the promises of God to Abram was the promise of a new homeland, a place of your own. Next he said, I'm giving you a a new legacy. I'm giving you children. He says, and I will make of you a great nation. So the second part of the promise is that God will give Abram descendants so numerous that they will not just be a family, they will be a nation. This is the promise that the promises of God will outlive Abram and his life and his generation. I mean, even though those people of Babel built a a tower to make a great name for themselves, to whom did God give a great name that we remember today? Who are the architects of Babel? Who are the contractors of Babel? Who are the kings of Babel? We don't know. But we do know the name Abram. God promised Abram that even though he didn't have any children and his wife was barren, his children would outnumber the stars in the sky. And his name would not just be famous in his generation, it would be known forever. The third promise that God made to Abram, he says, I'm giving you a new job, a new mission. And that mission is to bless The nations. He said, And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In this story, we are told that God singled out Abram and his household in much the same way that God had singled out Noah before the flood. But I want you to think about this. This time, however, God did not destroy everybody else and leave one. Rather, this time, God said, I'm going to start with one and create a nation that will rebuild humanity. Very different. Very different from I'm going to wipe out everybody else and leave one. This time I'm going to start here. I'm going to grow something beautiful. He said, through you, I'm starting a new chapter in the human story. You and your descendants are going to be different, and you're going to save the human race and change the world. Of all the sinners on earth, God chose one man and one woman, aged Abraham and barren Sarah, through whom he would restore humanity. Dr. Walter Brueggemann, Professor Emeritus at Columbia Seminary, wrote that it is the hope of God that in this new family, all human history can be brought back into the unity and harmony which he intended from the beginning. And then finally, the final promise, the Lord said, I'm going to preserve you. I will bless you And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Preservation. In this final promise, the Lord is saying, I'm not setting you out on this journey alone. I will be with you all the way. If you fall or you get knocked down, I will pick you up. When you are hungry and thirsty, I will provide for you. When people attack you, I will be your shield and fight on your behalf. I will equip you and give you the strength to do everything I call you to do. Do not be afraid. I have called you by name and you are mine. And this re- reminds me a lot of what we learned this past weekend from Sandy Wilson. And ta- he said that Jesus looked out on the crowds of people and said that, that he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This fourth promise is about the shepherding care, the shepherding love of God. The Lord was saying to Abram, I will be your shepherd. I'm the one who's going to protect you with my rod and my staff. I'm the one who will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death to green pastures beside the still waters. I will set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. This is the shepherding, loving care of the Lord. Now, just like the other people of Babel and Ur, Abram had been praying to and speaking to idols for years. Remember, he was a pagan. But then one day, as he was speaking to the dead idols, the real God spoke back. That'll wake you up in the morning. And Genesis tells us that when God told uh, Abram to drop everything, to pack up his family, to move to a foreign land, to forsake his place in the community. Guess what? Abram just did it. Now, what made di- Abram different from among the people of his generation? Genesis 12 4, right after what we read today, gives us a very brief explanation. What made him different when God called? Abram went, as the Lord had told him. God called, Abram went. And that's probably one of the most important verses in the Bible. The Bible tells, it doesn't tell us why the Lord chose Abram, but we do know how Abram responded. When God spoke to him, he listened. When God spoke to him, he took God seriously. When God spoke to him, he trusted him and believed. When God spoke to him, he went. The book of Hebrews describes it this way. It said Abraham was different because Abram trusted the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Hebrews chapter nine. What is righteousness? Righteousness is another one of those churchy words that we often hear but we don't understand. Sometimes we just use it to mean moral or ethical. Other times we use it to mean good but it means so much more than that. Let's not mistake, the, uh, let's not make the mistake of confusing the words good and moral with righteous. Let's not confuse the, words righteous, the right word righteous with the word religious. There's even more than that to it. Righteousness means rightly aligned with God. It means taking God seriously So seriously, that you base your life on his will and his word and not my own. It means betting your life on God and trusting him with the outcomes because you believe that God is willing and able to keep his promises. You know, Abram did follow God, not because he was pious not because he was perfect, not because he was religious. He followed the Lord because he trusted him. He trusted God, and that made him righteous. You know, unfortunately, as the story of Abram progresses, we'll see that he had his own problems. He made his mistakes. He had his sins to contend with. He often took matters into his own hands and he had to suffer the consequences. But every time Abram fell, the Lord lifted him back up. It's easy to say, as they said about a friend of mine once, he was no saint, but he was a heck of a disciple. Why? Because he trusted God. And Abram, unlike the people who came before him, trusted God. God said to Abram, unlike the people who come before you, you're going to trust me. You're going to trust that I know what you don't know. You're going to trust that I see what you cannot see. You're going to trust that I can control what you cannot control. And Abram, when things get hard and when I command you to do hard things and you don't understand why things are happening and life doesn't make sense and you're going to trust and I'm asking you to trust me, then that's when you're going to believe that I care about you and that I love you And that I will know more than you will ever know. That's when you're going to believe that I have a plan and a purpose for your life. That's when you're going to believe that I'm going to preserve you from the people who wish to do you harm. And I'm going to bring you through even the harm you do to yourself. You're going to believe that I am good even when you think I'm heartless. You're going to believe that I will do what only God can do when you're old and have given up hope. You're going to believe that I'm going to bless you even when it all appears to be barrenness and that I will keep the promises that I make to you. You know, there are so many times in the story of Abram and Sarai when it seems that God asked the impossible and promised the absurd. When God called this couple to leave their home to travel 1,500 miles to an unknown land and start over, they were 75 years old and sarah was barren sarah laughed when she heard when she overheard god's promise to give her a child because how can you have many descendants and grow a great nation if you can't even have the first baby and even when they obeyed god things didn't get any easier there was famine there was family trouble Sarai was abducted by the Pharaoh of Egypt and by King Abimelech of the Philistines. They had to battle against marauders and they had to fight for land and water rights. But the Lord preserved them. And I'm sure that their friends and family back in Ur told them that their decision to follow God was foolish. But Abram believed that trusting God, a real God, is more important than conventional wisdom. Very often, trusting God means that we act against our natural instinct. It may mean that we begin to realize that faithfulness and obedience are very often at at odds with caution and comfort. It means that being faithful is more important than being practical because faith Not practicality is the vehicle God has chosen for restoring his people. That faith, the faith that God demands requires that when he says go, we go, just as Abraham went. Now even though this happened a long time ago, this story is personal. And it should resonate with us now. Has the Lord ever said to you something like, I'm giving you a new home, someplace you've never been? Has he ever asked you to take on a new job, one you've never done? Has he ever promised you a legacy, one you thought was beyond your reach? How do we respond in those moments? Are we more like the people of Babel who believe we have to do it all on our own? Or are we more like Abram who are going to trust God? Are we going to give our lives to the old idols and old habits and expectations of our culture? I mean, how's that working for you? Are we going to trust God? Are you going to trust God or rely on yourself? Are you following God right now or are you building a tower for yourself right where you are? Are we going to bet our lives on God and trust and follow him? like Abram and Sarai did? You know, this story is still relevant to us because what God began with Abram, he fulfilled in Jesus. These promises are for us. Jesus says, I will give you a new place and you will belong. He will give you a place in his kingdom here. He'll give you a seat at his table and a home. For all eternity, he says, In my father's house, there are many rooms. He says, I'll give you a new purpose, a position on my team. You'll be fishers of men, you will be my ambassadors for the kingdom of God. He has a plan and a purpose for you, He will provide by giving you a family. A family that will last forever. He's the father who claims you as his child and by his spirit he will give you brothers and sisters and children and family and friends from every nation, from every tribe and every tongue. And with him and with them we will live forever. You will never be alone because Jesus Christ has opened the door because of Jesus Christ. You are Abram's children. You are the inheritors of this promise. And he will preserve you. Jesus said, I will be with you always. Even if you die, you will live. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, says Jesus? He will preserve you. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Why? Because because he is the good shepherd. He will bless those who bless us and he will curse those who curse us. He's the one who will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death to green pastures beside still waters. He will set a table before you in the presence of our enemies. He will restore our souls. He will be with us in our barrenness. And his promise is that I will always hear and receive your prayers. I will always hear the desperate cries of your heart. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the promise of God. These are promises that he has made and that he will keep, not just for Abram and Sarah. They're promises that he's made and will keep for us. Do you believe this? When God calls, will you trust him? If God is calling you right now, Will you follow him? This is the God who keeps his promises. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, as you called Abram, so you call us. You have said that you will give us a place, a purpose, that you will provide for us, and that you will preserve us. Oh Lord, help us to trust that. Help us to trust you. You can change our lives in ways that that we can't even comprehend. But Lord, through us, you will will change the world. You're not only going to bless us, Lord, you're going to bless us to be a blessing. You're going to bless our city through us. You're going to bless your world through your people. Lord, give us the courage. Give us the power. Give us the, the confidence. Give us the faith and the righteousness to follow you. We pray all of these things in your son's precious name. Amen.